it took me maybe a week, and I had a handful of individuals who said uh, they would come once, and they weren't sure if they would come again, but they promised me they would at least come once. And all of those individuals, except one, has said, uh, if I have any opportunity to go back, I want to go back. Uh, the one uh, did not have any problems here at all. It's just that he got focused on some other things and is committed elsewhere. Uh, so they have uh, communicated really positive things to me about their experience here. And so it gave me a chance to uh, stay in the house and to see why they are communicating such positive things. So it's just very encouraging. Man, you've done a great job. And you probably know that I have these uh, rotation kinds of uh, arrangements with other churches. So this is not the first time or the only one. However, uh, I want you to know that I have never had as positive comments and reflections and unsolicited reflections from the speakers as from this congregation. And I just want you to know that. Um, I think it says a lot about you. Uh, also, I want to let you know that we are in the work I'm doing with this congregation radically shifting our perspective. So we are moving our focus to be targeting that transition to a new minister. These guest speakers are not trying out for the job, but, but each one of these speakers has a massive network. Each one of them. Each one of them knows a lot of individuals who would be potential candidates. So each one of those individuals are gateways into opportunities to make sure that you are able to have a good minister who can come and participate with you. Not only that, but we have a lot of other resources that we'll be tapping. And we're not in a rush. And the way this tends to work is around the first of the year, you tend to have a higher number of ministers looking for a change. But that's nothing like what you see in the spring. So really, your best opportunity to get the best fit will be toward the end of the school semester, the spring semester. However, we're not waiting for that. We're going to get some things going. And so if a good candidate shows up at the first of the year or anywhere, you know, we, we will uh, bring that person forward as a candidate, uh, but we don't expect that. We assume it'll go like it usually does. And probably we're looking at something that would be late spring, early summer. But uh, again, we see somebody that the Lord sends our way. We'll be very happy about that and act immediately. So I just want you to know that. I also want to uh, let you know that you will have a voice. We want to make sure that you have a voice in terms of this candidate and how this goes. So the process for that, we'll, we'll work that out. We'll be communicating that to you. But we will involve you definitely and big time in terms of who it is that ends up um, speaking to you week by week and ministering to you and with you. So that's a, a bit of an update on that. 
As of last night, about 1130, uh, actually looking at right now, uh, I have been a Christian 38 years and 10 and a half hours. It was 38 years ago, last night at about 11.30, that I became a Christian. Wasn't sure really what that meant. I had absolutely no idea that that path would be such that today, 38 years later, I'd be interacting with you or with other churches or the people that I interact with. Had no clue what that meant. I didn't think it was going to mean me going into ministry. I had no clue. And I really didn't have a clue about what Christianity was either. What is it? It seems like I thought at first it was believing the Bible. It is uh, believing that you have to be baptized to be saved or you don't or whatever that argument is or whatever the argument is. Well, you, you've got certain beliefs that you hold. I mean, what does it mean to be a Christian? And, and I've struggled with that. And uh, I'm a little bit of a slow learner. I think sometimes I have to experience Christianity before I can have it explained to me. And I've been really benefited by a book that Francis Schaeffer wrote in the 1950s, early 1960s, entitled True Spirituality. And he articulated what I've been looking at in the Bible for years. But I want to tell you what it is. I want to look at a few texts of Scripture with you. And then I want to unpack it just a little bit for your experience. But what does it mean to be a Christian? What's it mean? To be a Christian and to follow Jesus Christ. You'll, I'm not trying to be cute. I'm, not, I'm just trying to be simple here. It means to follow Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus came to this world. Jesus was rejected. He was slain. He died. And he was raised from the dead. That is Christianity. Rejection, dying, and being raised. That's it. That's the underlying pattern. That's the story. That's the path for Jesus and for us. Please open your Bible, if you have one, with you. To John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we're going to look at John 1, John 12, John 15, and then I'll unpack some of this for us. But notice uh, God in heaven in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The light that is God shines in the darkness. What does that mean? It's the broken, fallen world. So not only did He create everything, but He stepped into that creation. And then, in verse 10, He was in the world. And even though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own rejected Him. They did not receive Him. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. In verse 14, And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we've seen His glory. The glory is of the one and only from the Father who is full of grace and truth. Notice verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made God known. If I want to know God, how do I know you? I watch what you do. I watch what you do. And I can see something about you. When I look at God... And I see what God does. He leaves his heaven. And he comes to be rejected. Look at chapter 12. It's a turning point in the Gospel of John. John 12. And in verse 23... Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man, that is himself, to be glorified. And I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who lives his life, who loves his life, will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. What's he just said? He's going to die. That is where we go. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Look at another passage, the last one here. And it's in John chapter 15. As we just continue to develop this. In verse 13, a powerful statement. He says, you know, we talk a lot about love. There is no greater love than for you to lay down your life. Now, what does that mean? It means you're dying to something. You give something up. What? Your life. Greater love has no one than this, than one would lay down his life for his friend. And if you look in verse 18, John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now notice that if, if, in Greek you can translate often the word if with the word since. Since the world hates you. 
recognize it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world is not crazy about you. He uses the word hate. Hate. Is that realistic? Is Jesus right on that? The world hates us? It says it loves me and is acting in my best interest. Jesus is saying, I want my disciples to have a bit of realism. What does hate mean? You're going to be rejected. Expect rejection. Notice in verse 23, he who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. Do you see what it says in verse 25? They hate me without a cause. There was no reason for them to hate me. In fact, the reason I came was to give them the love of my own life. Why did they hate me? Have you ever been hated for no reason? Let me tell you something. If you have never been hated for no reason, you do not know the depths of the Christian faith. This is not written for Jesus. These are words of Jesus written written for us. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to lose something. It's precious. Maybe even my life. Yeah, my life. But then I will be raised. Now, what I want to do is as we think about Christian faith this way. Christian faith is a journey. It's a journey. And we go through the rejection. We experience the death. And I want you to notice, first of all, and I'll come back to this, but can you imagine the experience of being raised from the dead? You cannot be raised from the dead unless you're dead. Does that make sense? How will I ever know the power of the resurrection if I'm unwilling to die? Now that is a challenge. So whenever I look at this and I think about 
death, burial, and resurrection. When I think about rejection, slain, and then raised, this experience of being raised is exhilarating. And the death is not necessarily just biological, though it could be that. But it's more than that. This is what Paul talks about when he says, listen, do you want to understand why you struggle with sin? Do you want to understand the Christian faith deeply? If so, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin, you see the death? How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that... Just as Christ was raised from the glory of the Father, even so, we also might walk in newness of life. What is the walk of the newness of life? That is talking about our conversion experience, and it's not just talking about what happens whenever I biologically die. Paul understood. He prayed that people he wrote to would be able to understand the power of the resurrection, not just later on, but now. Have you ever watched a mother and a father look forward to birthing this baby that's in the womb? And that baby is born, and there's new life. They're so happy. And within 10 to 12 days, they learn their baby is going to have serious health issues the rest of its life. And what the future means and is, question mark. How long the baby will live? Question. That's what my son learned about his infant baby two days ago. And for me to watch my very godly son struggle through that, It's like a death because it is a death. Not of the child, but there was a dream that died. Now the truth is, there's another dream that he would have never asked for that was born at the same time, and a path that's going to be very difficult, not chosen, but chosen, and they will love that boy. What if he couldn't let the dream die? That boy will be what I wanted him to be, what I expected. That's what you see when you see a 
wannabe athlete who has children, and then they push that down their children's throat. And you have to do that because I couldn't and didn't and wouldn't. No. You got to let that go. You got to let your dream die sometimes. Because there's a real gift, a real gift in there. And the Christian faith is one of sometimes dying to the way we think things ought to be and the path I would have traveled and being willing to say like the, the godly mother of Jesus, you're going to have a son and it's going to be a painful path and worth every step of it. And she says, May it be to me as the Lord wills. What a blessing that it goes a direction I didn't expect. But for me to travel this journey, can you imagine what kind of power you've got when you are open to not trying to be accepted? You're willing to be rejected. You're willing to be hated for no reason. And you're willing to let your dreams and your hopes die. And then God does what nobody except God can do. I have died over and over and over again. Think about it. Haven't you? Haven't you? I dressed up for you because I hope today's your funeral. If you're not willing to embrace your funeral, you will not walk out of that grave. When your hope dies, you're going to have a hope that is so much better than you ever dreamed. Every time we go through this, every time, it's easier the next time. The problem is there are bigger, badder demons <laughs> than the ones I had to deal with last time, and the bigger, badder ones keep coming. And it just gets more and more difficult and more and more easy. Here's a last consideration I want to leave you with. We could just unpack a lot of this, but this is the last one. A part of the Christian faith is, you see, really what this, this, is, this shows whether you really trust God or not. Really trust God. Because you can't do this if you don't really trust. This will test you. But in the Christian faith, a part of what this is all about is developing us by taking us down a path where what we have to do is we choose to trust God enough to be rejected and slain. And we are confident and we can even have joy in it because you kill me. You ever see that Twilight Zone movie called Chucky? I hate Chucky. 
<laughs> they kill that beast, and he just keeps on. It's just, I hate Chucky. But, you know, it just gives you a sense of power to know, you take my life, take it. I'm good. I'm good. The Lord will protect me. But it's coming to the choice. That's the point of the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus, God the Son, is before God the Father. And he says, you know, I'm struggling. If there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. And ultimately, it ends up like Mary. May it be to me as the Lord wills. He says, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, Lord, you know, part of the death is that I don't really understand it. I can't. I'm going to trust you through this. I'm going to trust you through this. Your will be done, not mine. I'm going to surface mine. I'm going to offer it to you and trust you for this. And the Lord never, ever fails to show up in ways we didn't expect. I think it's pretty cool. Let's pray together. You know, there is no way we would have written this script this way, Lord. It's pretty wild to think that the way life works is that when we try to hold on to it, we lose it. And when we give it, in love to other people. We get it. And we get it rejected. (laughs) Help us through that journey to not be doom and gloom, but victorious, confident, and unflinching, knowing that you're here and you guide us and the exhilaration of being raised to walk in that newness of life, may we experience those steps. Give us this path. But I know we don't even know what we're asking for when we pray that. So give us the direction of your spirit. Help us to know the power of your resurrection today. And when we do die with that death that is not our choice, may we have a number of times through our life we have chosen to give ourselves, even to that level. We love you. Uh, I am, we are amazed at how you do things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.